At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians 4. It's where we'll be diving in today. And we're going to ask the question, what happens after I die? What happens after we die? I think this is a question that a lot of us may have thought about, asked ourselves, wrestled with. What actually happens after we die? What, what does it look like? Where, what does it feel like? What, what does this experience mean? Death is something that's certain, right? There's nobody on the face of this earth that has walked through eternity and still here, right? Everybody faces this reality that one day we will face death. And it's real. It's something that we can bank on. Now, there are many different views or, or beliefs about uh, what this looks like, about how, how this happens. Some believe in heaven and hell, where there's a, a literal place of heaven and hell that we go to. If you're a believer in Jesus, that you go to heaven, and, and if you're not, there's a hell, and, and uh, there's that belief. There's a belief that there's a, a, pur a purgatory, uh, um, where there's like a, a middle ground where you go, and there's a purification process, and, and all this. Some people believe this. Some people believe in reincarnation, where I might come back as a dog or a cat, you never know, but there's some that believe this. Some believe in nothing at all. Some believe that you die, that's the end. You go to the worms, back into the ground, right? And so there's a lot of different views, there's a lot of different beliefs about what happens after we die and what does it look like. And when we look at death, sometimes the phrase is used as passing through the veil, meaning there's a veil or something blocking us from seeing what's beyond the curtain, right? What's beyond the curtain when we die? Our souls literally pass through that veil. We can't see around it. We can't see over it. We can't see through it. And so that we question, what, what does it look like beyond that? What does it look like for us? And what happens after we die the thing is, we even hear stories of people, don't we? Sometimes you hear stories of people who maybe were on the operating table and, and they died for a moment or their heart stopped and they said, I, I saw a light or, man, I, I experienced heaven for a few seconds and then they were brought back to life and they come back and tell that story. And whether that's true or false, the reality is, is that we don't know exactly what happens or we, we question it. We do know, but we question it. What happens after we die? See, the truth is, <clears throat> we all want to know this. Because as individuals, we're ignorant. And we're all, lack, or we're all facing death at some point in our lives. <clears throat> well, this morning, 
We're continuing in our series, The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. And uh, we've been going through this series for about nine weeks now. We're on the tail end. This is our last week in this series. And, and we've been going through looking at what are the essential foundations of our faith? What do they mean? What is truth? What does it look like? And what we've been doing is we've been using the Apostles' Creed, a creed that is a, is a very old creed, one of the oldest, the creed um, or a statement of faith has been used by Christians for centuries and it outlines basic biblical truth that gives definition to what Christians believe. That this is basically our statement of faith as believers that we use this as the foundation of what we believe. And today... We've come to the final line of the statement, and it says, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And so as we've looked through this creed, line by line, comparing it um, to Scripture and kind of looking in Scripture what it says and and how it's true, we we started our series with the, the first line in this creed, and it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that we believe that God created all things. He created the heavens and the earth, right? And our final statement of the creed or the last line of the creed, this final line talks about the end, death, what happens when we die. See, for Christians, a day will come, the Bible says, when our bodies will be raised to life, eternal life. But the truth is, is that for non-believers, the same is correct, right? The same is correct that they will be raised to life, but they will be judged. There will be judgment on the other side of that. And so for believers, we've claimed for ages that resurrection is coming. It's true. When our bodies will be reunited and regenerated, raised to life eternal. John 5, 28 through 29 says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have uh, done good to the resurrection of life and those uh, who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And if we look at this passage in a broader view of the context of the passage, when he says those who have done good, he's meaning those who actually are believers or put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he talks about those who have done evil or, or those who have rejected the faith, those who have rejected Jesus as their Savior. And for those who have resisted the gospel, for those who have rejected Jesus as Lord, it, it's a resurrection of judgment, he says. For those who have received the gospel and trusted in Jesus, it's a resurrection of life. And what we want to focus on today is that bodily resurrection. And so the passage that we're using is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. And this passage that we look at today is, is a letter that Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. Now, Paul had uh, written many letters to many different churches. This is one of the churches, and he had helped plant this church. He loved this church. He loved those people. They were doing well in this, in this uh, environment. And, and, and Paul is writing to them because of some confusion that they had. They were confused on some issues that they were dealing with, and they had some concerns. And so... One of those concerns was what happens when we die, what happens after we die. And so Paul is going to offer further instruction here related to the resurrection and how it impacts our lives today. So the question we have today is how does the final resurrection impact 
our lives today? How should we as believers respond to the truth of the future resurrection? So Paul first teaches us that number one, we, we have to grieve with hope. If we look in verse 13 through 14, it says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, Paul's writing to the church of Thessalonica, and they were struggling. Quite honestly, they were ignorant about those who had died and, or fallen asleep, as Paul puts it. And so they're, they're dealing with this, this losing their loved ones. Some people had died, whether it was um, by natural causes or by persecution that was happening in this time. And so he, they're, they're kind of confused. They're thinking, man, what, what's happening here? I don't understand. Like, these people are dying, and is, are they going to be resurrected to life? And so they're dealing with this. Paul had left them. When he had left them, he, he had left them hopeful encouraged about their future. And somewhere along the lines, their encouragement or their hope had turned into despair. They were sad. They were grieving because of the loss they had experienced. But the question is, is how were they grieving? He says that they were grieving as one who has no hope. It says that he didn't want them to be uninformed about what? About those who are asleep. Again, he uses the this term asleep, as if they are going to wake up or, or be woken up, right? This is the wording that he uses for Christians who have died, those that have passed away, that they will someday wake up or be raised to life. And Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. I want to tell you the truth. I want to make sure you understand the truth. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be confused about this. You need to understand this. This is where they find their hope. I don't know about you, but living in Michigan, sometimes we lose hope, right? I am not a cold person. I love warmth. I, I could live in Arizona where it's 100 degrees plus. I love like the warm sun. And so God placed me in Michigan. And sometimes as I'm going through the darkness of winter and all this is happening and snow's coming down, I lose hope. And I'm like, oh man, God, please send the sunshine. And then I find hope in the fact that once a year in the winter, we go to Florida. And it's like, oh my word, Lord, I find hope in that week right there. How many of you guys go to Florida or go somewhere warm during the winter? See, I'm not the only one. See? Maybe some of you love the winters and love war or love the uh, snow. That's fine. But for me, I find hope in that. And then I come home and I'm like, oh my word, Lord, please let summer be here fast. And then we get spring. And if you live on a farm, it's a complete mud. And so then I lose hope again. And I'm like, God, give me the sun where the grass is growing. Like I'm looking out the window right now and I'm like, man, that's hope for me. I find hope in it. In those summer days, I, I look forward to them. Paul's sharing with the Thessalonians, you have something to look forward to. There's something I want you to get that you can look forward to this. You have hope, and that should impact the way you grieve the death of your fellow Christians. So here's the hope that he's talking about. He says that Jesus died and rose again. 
As Christians, our hope is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? It's in his death that counts for our death. And the the truth of the matter is, is that we will be raised to life with him, right? He turns, or when he returns for the second coming, that's our hope. That we will be raised to life with him. That through Jesus, it says... That by him, through him, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Those believers who have died or, or died before he returned. So we don't have to grieve as those who have no hope, right? That even though we may die or those that our loved ones, fellow believers may die, that we can still rest in the fact that we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection guarantees our future. And this is our hope, church. This is why we grieve differently than those who actually don't have any hope. We have something to look forward to. Romans 6, 4 through 5, Paul puts it this way. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. This is the hope that we have. That one day when he returns, all those who are believers and and have fallen asleep will be reunited with their bodies and will wake up. So how do we grieve? When someone dies... When someone we love passes on, how do we grieve that, right? It's a sad moment, and, and we don't want to discount those feelings. It's something that we actually feel inside, and, 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 and we have to go through that grief. We have to process that grief. I remember back in August, uh, my dad, he passed away, and I remember coming back from sabbatical, and, and I was rushing to get home because my mom had said, he's not doing well, and, and I got home, and, and the next morning I went to see him, or the next evening I went to see him, and I, I went into the hospital bed, and I remember seeing my dad in that bed, and, and he was laying there, but his eyes were closed, he wasn't responsive, but he was still breathing, and his body was just so frail, and I remember, that's not my dad, like, I remember my dad being strong, and I was looking at him, and I'm praying with him, and, and just talking to him, even if he was sleeping or whatever, he, I hope he could hear me, and, and I was just telling him things and, and sharing things with him, and I remember that moment, and the next morning, my mom calls me and says, hey, he's, he's gone. And I remember, like, the grief that I felt. I remember the sadness that I felt. I'll never forget that moment in my life where I walked through this moment of sadness and grief. And, and I started to think, man, I'll never be able to see him again or, or talk to him again. I'll never be able to ask my dad for advice again that he's gone. And then later, sitting down with some amazing people and sitting down with with my siblings and my mom and just talking about how my dad was in the presence of God. And that the hope that we felt, the hope that we had, that one day his body, which is in the ground, will be raised to life and reunited with Christ. That one day when Christ returns, that he'll be reunited and essentially my dad had just fallen asleep. Paul's not saying, I don't want you to grieve. He's not, he's not saying that. He's saying, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. 
Isn't it so different when we attend a funeral, right? When we go to those funerals and we go to a funeral where there's somebody who actually, we know that they're a believer and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we go to that and sometimes we call them a celebration of life, right? But really, it's a funeral. And we go to that and there's a grieving process, but there's the other side of that where there's actual hope because we know where that individual is spending eternity. And it's so different when we actually go to maybe a, a funeral where we don't know. We go to that funeral and, and you can feel the sadness in the room. Maybe by the people that are there because they have no hope. Maybe, maybe you knew the individual and, and you were like, I don't know if they really knew Jesus and so I'm doubtful and, and I don't know and, and, and that hope is not there. It's so different. This is what Paul's talking about. Our hope is in Christ. That he died and rose on our behalf and that you too will one day rise with him. So the thing is, let's grieve death as those who have hope beyond death. The second thing we see here is that he tells us in verse 15 through 17 to anticipate Christ's return, that we need to look forward to it. We need to anticipate it. He says this, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And then it says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Man, what a cool moment to look forward to, isn't it? What an amazing moment picture to look forward to. And we see that the Thessalonians' view of what would be raised or who would be raised with Christ when he returns was off. It seems that their understanding here was that only Christians that were alive would be raised to life with Christ. And so Paul makes it very clear to them and he helps them understand. He tells them that we who are alive aren't going to precede the ones that are dead. That we're not going to go first. He says in verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise first, right? And then we will. Man, I wonder what that's going to look like. I don't know. Do we have any people out there that maybe imagine things? I think I'm one of them. I, I, I read this verse and I, I just kind of, my imagination runs wild and I start to think and I'm like, man, what will this look like? Here, uh, it says we're going to be second, right? So here God comes down, he descends on the earth, and, and he's uh, riding a cloud maybe, I don't know, and he's coming down on a cloud, and, and then he comes and, and he gets here and he's like, and he, it says he commands, right? He, he yells or, or the voice of the Lord. And so he says, come out of the grave. Now what's going to happen next? Like if I'm alive, I'm sitting there waiting like, where are they at? Are they coming out of the grave? Are they literally like, you know, like coming out of the grave? I don't know. My imagination runs wild. But what's it going to look like here? And then, all of a sudden, it says they're going to go first. So now we're going to see them up there on a cloud, and they're just chilling with Jesus. And, and then I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Like, take me. I want to go up on the cloud too. My imagination runs wild. Maybe I'm the only one. But I can't imagine how incredible this is going 
to be. What it's going to look like. See, theologians, amongst others, have maybe debated and argued over what that's going to look like, the timing of it, all these things about the rapture and so forth. But one of the things that we all agree on, the, the difference is, is that we all as believers, we all as Christians believe in one thing. We, we agree on this, that Jesus is going to return and that the dead in Christ will rise. We know that, although we may not know the timing and how it all goes. But we do know the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are left or those who are still on the earth will then continue. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we are not all going to die. Some will be here still alive when he returns. And he says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable or eternally. And we shall be changed. Again, Paul's letting us know that we can anticipate Christ's return. We can look forward to it. We can watch for it. It's truth. That this is where we find our hope. It'll be an incredible day. See, we grieve with hope because... We will be raised, and then we anticipate Christ's return when we will be raised. We look forward to it. We watch for it. See, the triumphal entrance of Christ will be incredible to see. I love big entries. I don't know about you. Anybody else out there? Anybody watch PBR, professional bull riding? I'm a big fan, okay? If I don't have any followers out there, oh, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I used to ride bulls, but um, I love the PBR. And so I love watching it on TV. Maybe for you it's the NFL and, and the Super Bowl. Maybe it's uh, UFC fighting when they announce the guy coming in and there's music playing or a boxing where they're like, in this corner, you know, all that. But the PBR, I think, kills everything, right? They literally light the sand on fire. Right, And they, 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 they have the PBR spelled out in the arena, and then they are announcing these guys that are, you know, the, the athletes, the bull riders are coming out, and, and the lights go down, and the lights are going everywhere, and then all of a sudden there's huge flamethrowers that are like, and like the guy comes out, and then the world champion comes out, and even gets bigger, and there's music playing. Anybody with me? <laughs> I'm telling you what, man, that just gets me going. And I'm like, wow. And even to the point where I've tried to mimic it with Flip Camp, um, when I was at Lake Orion, I would build the stages. And so as the kids are piling into the auditorium, we've got music playing and, and the lights are going crazy and, and we have like flamethrowers. Well, not really, but they're like spark machines that are shooting 15 feet in the air and geysers going off. And then we have like confetti cannons that you press a button and it's like boom, 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 you know. I just love big entries, guys. Come on, just come with me on this moment. But when you think about this, this is just a tiny little glimpse of what it's going to look like when Jesus, our Savior, returns to earth. That he's going to descend from heaven with a, a cry of command. That you'll hear his voice with the voice of an archangel. Like, I don't know what that sounds like, but it's got to be cool. 
and with the sound of the trumpet of God. The, the, there'll be trumpets playing. Like, I, I can't, I'm like, okay, God, where are you going to send Jesus to come down? Like, is it, is it going to be in Michigan or is it going to be in China? Is it going to be, you know, here or there? Like, where should I go? I want to see this, right? Or is it going to be everywhere? I mean, the world's round, right? But I'm, I'm anticipating it. Like, I, I, want, I want to see it. I want to be there. See, when he first came, we know the truth that he came meek and mild, humbly, in poverty, born in a manger as a little baby, frail. But this time he's coming in this dramatic, breathtaking entry with a commanding voice, letting all know that death is defeated and we will be raised to life victorious forever. Amen? We can anticipate a lot of things in our lives. Man, as, as a high schooler, I, as a high schooler I, I anticipated that I would graduate one day. I anticipated that I would go to college and graduate. I anticipated that one day I would find the woman of my dreams, right? And some of us anticipate that, and it may never come true. I don't know. Um, but we anticipate that, and I anticipated that I would get married, and, and sometimes those things don't come true. We can't bank on those things. We can think about them, anticipate them, and be like, oh, maybe they'll happen, but they might not happen. But see, it's different when we talk about the return of the Lord. It's going to happen. So let's anticipate his return. Let's be ready for it. Live in light of it, as we talked about last week how we pursue holiness in our lives. Let's live that way as believers, that we are pursuing holiness, waiting for him to come back. The third thing we see is that we comfort one another. In this small little verse, verse 18, it says, therefore encourage one another with these words. Just a simple phrase. Paul finishes here by telling them, to encourage one another or comfort one another. He says, therefore, or because of, because of all of this, because of what you've heard, because of what you know, comfort each other, encourage one another. Because of the hope that you have, because of the truth of the second coming, encourage one another. As you'll all experience death of loved ones in your life, be there for each other, remind each other of these words. Man, this is where spiritual community comes in, does it? This is where the spiritual community comes into play, where brothers and sisters in Christ, godly people, are encouraging each other in these moments. Man, have you ever been encouraged by somebody? Have you ever been the encourager of somebody? I remember 2018, I got in a really bad accident. I had on collision, 70 mile an hour, um, and somehow I walked away from it. I remember 2019. Man, I had a lot of pain that year. And, and in 2019, spring of 2019, I ended up having to have a, a major shoulder surgery to repair a lot of things that were wrong. And so I remember going through that and I was in so much pain and they had to do all this stuff. And, and then I was in the sling and I, I hate being tied up. I, I don't know. I just hate, I, I want to do things, right? So my wife's like, you can't go out and do any farm work. And I'm like, yeah, right, right? And so I, I'm just frustrated, 
And I had this sling on, and they're trying to like put me in a chair that's automotive. It's like a full-on lifts your arm and is killing me. And I remember the struggle of recovering from that surgery. And then all of a sudden, the very next spring, one year later, they said, hey, there's some other things wrong in there. Um, we didn't see it, and we got to go fix those. And so then they went back in the very next spring, and they fixed that stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, am I ever going to get out of this? Like, I'm trying to recover, and it's not working. And then the very next year, the spring, I had so much pain up here that they're like, well, we see your neck. It needs to be repaired. And I'm like, what do you mean? And so they had to go in and cut me open and they did the C5, 6, and 7 and they replaced all this stuff. And I, I remember reaching a moment in my life where I'm laying in a bed and, and sitting in a chair and I had this neck brace on that lifts me up and I'm thinking, Lord, why? I was so frustrated. I hated it. And I remember people coming in and saying, man, hey, John, it's going to be all better soon. Don't worry, John. This is this is good. Like, just think about this, man. You're gonna be you're gonna be a bionic person. Like, don't worry, man. You're gonna you're gonna be okay. And and just think, it's all getting fixed, and and you're gonna live a great life after this. And I wanted to look at them and say, get out of my room. I don't want your encouragement. Just please let me live in this moment. And the thing is, is like all those people meant well in trying to encourage me along the way. Even if I didn't want it. They all meant well. They truly wanted to cheer me up and make me feel better. But if you look at what Paul says here, when he says one another, he's assuming that they had one another's in their lives. He's assuming that you have one another's in your life. People that will come around you and encourage you in those moments. People that when you lose a loved one and and you're walking through grief and pain and struggling, that they will come alongside you. Those one another's are in your life. Godly individuals that will speak truth into your life and encourage you and build you up and say, hey, I'm here with you to walk through the pain, to walk through the grief. But guess what? Hey, we know the end. Everything's good. God is sending Jesus back. Jesus is coming again. Those individuals the one another's in our lives that we will walk through life together. And the truth is, is if we don't have those individuals in our lives, we experience loneliness, isolation, all these things that come with it when we don't put individuals in our lives that will encourage us. And the thing is, is we can start to forget the truth because we're not reminded. This is why we have life groups. A little plug for life groups, right? It's not another program that we have here at Woodside that we're like, hey, we want you to get into this program. It's life groups and we want you to join. That's not why it's there. Life groups is something that we designed and, and not just us, a lot of churches do it to make big church smaller. For you to join a life group and be in a group of people, of individuals that, that are like-minded, that, that are um, walking through life with you, encouraging you, crying with you, um, laughing with you, um, celebrating moments with you, walking through grief with you. That's why we do life groups. So you can share a meal on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. So you can go out and serve your community together. So you can um, study the Word of God together. You can walk through life. You can ask each other questions. Those are the one another's in your life. And the truth is, is that if we live in isolation, 
and we don't have those people in our lives, how do we get encouraged in these moments? How do we actually walk through these moments? Do we forget the truth? Or do we have people, do we have one another's in our lives that will actually encourage us in the truth? So I'll end with this. So what happens after we die? A question that so many wrestle through. So many ask. See, the biblical truth is found in Scripture and stated perfectly in the last line of the creed where it says, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. As Christians, we may fall asleep, as Paul puts it. Or we may have loved ones that die or fall asleep. But the good news is that we can encourage each other, that we have hope, and that we can have this incredible opportunity when Jesus returns to be reunited with him. So church, do we believe this? Do we actually believe all the things that we've gone through in the last nine weeks of of the creed? If we we look at the creed, if you put it up again, do we actually believe this? Because we just walked through nine weeks of what it means to have faith. What it means to believe and be a believer. Do we actually believe these things? And here's the application as we put a bow on this whole series. If we actually do believe these things, shouldn't it move us? As, as Christians, as believers, shouldn't it move us to actually have an urgency within Man, if we, if we believe the last line of this where it, it says, I believe in the resurrection and, and there's judgment for those that reject Jesus and, and one day he will return and, and we'll be raised to life in him and reunited with him or we're going to be raised up and have judgment. It should move us. There, there should be an urgency, right? Because we all know those people in our lives that need Jesus. And so does it create an urgency in us? Does it create something in us that we want to go into the workplace and share the gospel with those around us that we want to actually be that influence in their life, that encouragement in their life to accept Jesus as their Savior so that they can have a relationship with Christ so they don't have to face judgment someday? Church, it should move us. It should move us in a way that we share the love of Christ with those around us. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, I thank you for I thank you for the truth of the gospel. <clears throat> God that this apostles creed just gives us a, a window or a guide or a, a foundation to our faith. That, God, we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, God, that we believe that that you died and you, you rose again for our sins. Lord, that you defeated death. And, God, we believe that one day you will return. Whatever that looks like, I'm, I just cannot wait to be reunited with you. God, we believe in the resurrection and so, Father, I pray that 
as a church, as individuals in Christ, that that, that would move us, Father, that that would move us out into our communities, into our neighborhoods, that we don't know the time when you will return, when you're going to return, Father. That it could be right now. It could be tomorrow. It could be the next day. But we don't know the timing, but we know the truth that you will return. So, Father, help us to walk in a way that's honoring. Help us to, to move in a way that it reflects you, Father, so that we are ready and waiting. Help us to share the, the good news of the gospel to those around us, Father. Lord, would you move us as a church into the world around us? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.